thing this morning. I know. <laughs> if you want to read selected passages, you are free to do that. It's Joshua chapter 2, and I do think we should stand for the reading of God's word. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear by me, or to me, by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. And then you will save us, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Now she had said to them, Go to the hills. So the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return. Then hide yourselves there three days until they return. And then go your way. The men said to her, The oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tried. Okay, I will start at verse 17. The men said to her, This oath you have made us swear will not be binding on us 
unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us stand, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in your house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went three days into the hills, and, or they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun. And he told, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The word of the Lord. Well, there's a lot in that passage, obviously, because we read the whole chapter. And um, I'm not going to break it down. I mean, you could, just the scarlet cord uh, itself is pretty significant. Remember, um, I talked a little bit last week in my Easter message uh, about how we see the blood of Jesus through the scripture, and this is one more example where we see that scarlet cord representing the blood that saves. Um, anyway, um, we have a, a bit of a problem as soon as we begin reading this passage. And Dean, thank you for pronouncing the name of that community that way. <laughs> because when we look at that word where the spies were sent out from, it's a little uncomfortable to say in English at least the way we think we would pronounce it. So let me tell you how that place is pronounced. May I? I, have a web, I found a website a few years back that I can go to that tells me what the Hebrew pronunciation of names and places is. So the, this place that they left from, S-H-I-T-T-I-M, is actually pronounced Shatim. Okay, do you feel better about that? Okay, good, yeah. Shatim. Uh, it was the last encampment made under Moses' leadership. It was east of the Jordan River, opposite Jericho, at the foot of the mountains, rising up from the Jordan Valley. And Joshua now sends two spies to scout out the land with particular attention to be paid to Jericho. Now, there's some questions raised in this story, and, and we'll, we'll deal with a couple of those as we move along. The first question that might be raised is this. Why send spies? After all, God had promised them possession of the land, correct? God said, you'll be able to take the land. But Joshua apparently felt like it was proper military procedure to do this. God's command for him to cross the Jordan meant that he had to make all necessary preparations for the event. Because of God's presence and the supernatural help promised, 
there was still no cause to neglect wise and prudent measures that any good leader would take on a venture like this. Joshua did not assume that God wanted him to go forward blindly. He knew that in order to conquer Jericho, he must take wise action in support of his deep faith. Consequently, he sought to gain all the information he could on the situation that lie ahead. And uh, there are some other examples in the scripture uh, of this kind of thing. Um, in, in, in the book of Nehemiah, remember Nehemiah has been allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. And there were some in the country thereabouts that weren't particularly happy about this project happening. Uh, the, the Bible mentions a couple of names, Sanballat and Tobiah. Um, they were not happy about this. And when they, when they saw that the work was progressing, they kind of uh, got together and, and, and uh, conceived this plot to, to, to discourage and, and even do battle against the people of Jerusalem who were trying to rebuild the wall. And so here's Nehemiah's response to that. But we prayed to our God. Well, good. That should take care of it, right? And posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So, there's faith in what God will do, but He took wise and prudent steps. Amen? To post a guard. Listen, faith does not preclude using your head. And all the people said, (laughs) Faith without deeds is dead, James said. And I think we usually think of this passage in terms of good deeds we should do as people of faith. But I think we can also think of this passage in terms of wise and prudent deeds we should do as well. We know that God has promised to provide all our needs. Yes, and all the people were excited about that scripture. And So as a person of faith, if I needed a job, should I trust that God will provide and then sit around the house watching TV all day and waiting for the phone to ring? Or spend my days fishing? Or visiting with friends? Or would I engage in the wise and prudent deeds of visiting potential employers, filling out job applications, and going to interviews? I think we all know the answer, don't we? And that's exactly what was going on with Joshua here. It was not a lack of faith. But he was taking wise and prudent action as he entered into the land. Well, there's some things I want to point out in this passage of Scripture today. And I I guess I've already made a point that occurred to me as I was looking at what Joshua was doing here. But but now we have these men leaving from Shittim. and, And they go into Jericho and some things begin to happen. And, and what I see here is that God is at work ahead of us. God is at work ahead of us. He was at work ahead of them. Um, if you go to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 20, you'll find a story. Um, and, and at this point, Jehoshaphat is king. And the men of Ammon, Moab, and Seir have come against them. There's this mighty army. And Jehoshaphat, who was one of the godly kings, calls the people to prayer. 
And he seeks God's direction. And God says, yes, I want you to go out. I'm going to go before you, but I want you to, I want you to gather, uh, muster the army and I want you to go out. And it's kind of unusual. Jehoshaphat says, we'll do that. But what we're going to do is we're going to put the choir at the front of the army. And they're going to sing God's praise. And God says, I'm going to take care of this for you. And, and so we, we get this point now where, where they're going to go out of the city and confront this vast army. And here's what it says, beginning in verse 20 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. Early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army... They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much plunder it took three days to collect it. So... They had faith in God. God said, we'll be victorious. They mustered the army, went out. God was way ahead of them. When they got there, the only job the army had was to collect the plunder and carry it home. Not bad. You know, years ago, um, when well, I wasn't even a senior pastor yet um, in Eastern Oregon, I was on staff. We had a missionary who served for years in the Philippines. And I, I don't remember his first name, but I believe his last name was McCroskey. And he came and was sharing, you know, it was a mission service. And he told this story that I think is just an incredible illustration of how God is way ahead of us. He said, you know, the Philippines is, uh, the country of the Philippines is really made up of bunches of islands. And they had started a church on one of these outer islands. And that church met in someone's home and it grew and grew and grew to the point where we need to build a church. Well, you know, I think most of the people in this place were subsistence farmers. They just didn't have much money. And and I I think they had a cement block, but what they didn't have was cement to pour a foundation or a floor with, footings, things like that. Because, well, the problem was they, they had only sand for the cement. They didn't have gravel. This island is just one big blob of sand. And um, they began praying about it. We need gravel. That's what you need to, to, to make cement. Cement, sand, gravel. And they prayed and they prayed. And one day a man came, run, comes running to the pastor and said, Pastor, I found all the gravel we need. He said, where's that? 
He took him down to the seashore. There, as the, as the waves washed up and, and back and forth, there was gravel all over the place. In the Second World War, when MacArthur returned to the Philippines, remember that? On this particular island, so that they could get um, you know, the machinery off the landing craft and onto the shore, they had dumped tons and tons of gravel to provide a firm foundation, shall we say, for that heavy equipment. Forty years previously, God knew that there would be a church that needed gravel. God was working way ahead. And God was working ahead of the spies as they entered Jericho. They entered the house of a prostitute, it says, and stayed there. Now, I will tell you that the terms um, for, for female innkeeper and prostitute were the same, and it's very possible that Rahab was both. You might wonder why this would be the place that they would choose. Well, God directed them there, I'll tell you that. In such a place, too, there would be considerable talk so that they might be able to gather information in an inn where people were gathered around and, and talking. And Rahab was probably the only person in Jericho who would have detected the identity of the spies and still spared their lives. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about why in, in a few moments. And it's interesting, I think, that the spies did go to Rahab, who was potentially one of many prostitutes in the city. And yet, I think as evidence of God's direction, God working ahead of them as they went to her, her home. The unique deliverance of the spies and the quality of the information that they obtained indicates that this whole venture was preceded and overshadowed by God. God was at work ahead of the spies, directing them to Rahab's house, but also preparing Rahab to receive and protect the spies. She expressed to the spies that she had heard God had, what God had already done to deliver them from Egypt and some of the other things that had happened. Now listen, this is, she's talking about things that had happened 40 years ago. Some of them. Forty years ago. So there's this whole time that the people of Jericho have been ruminating on what God's been doing with this wandering group of nomads out here. And if you look in, in um, uh, second, uh, Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, it says, um, She said to them, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Think God was at work ahead of them? And you know what? This is exactly in keeping with what God said He would do. Listen to this from Exodus chapter 15, verse 15. The chiefs, uh, this is God speaking, what He is going to do. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The 
people of Canaan will melt away. Now, this is previous to them ever coming to the land. God is telling them, this is what I'm going to do. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 7, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. Deuteronomy 11.25 No one will be able to stand against you. The Lord your God, as He promised you, will put the terror and fear of you in the whole land wherever you go. What did Rahab just say? Our hearts are melting in fear. We're scared to death of you guys. God was working ahead of the people of Israel and the spies just as he said he would do. The second thing I see in this chapter is this. God can use anyone. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before Him. Evangelist, International motivational speaker and New York Times best-selling author, Nick Vujicic. Do you know who Nick Vujicic is? Have you ever heard of Nick? He was born in 1982 in Melbourne, Australia. Without any medical explanation or warning, Nick came into the world with neither arms nor legs. He's just a body. Throughout his childhood, Nick dealt not only with the typical challenges of school and adolescence, such as bullying and self-esteem issues, he also struggled with depression and loneliness as he questioned why he was so different from all the other kids. He couldn't get the haunting question of why was I born without arms and legs out of his head. As Nick grew up, he learned to deal with his disability and gradually accomplished more on his own. A janitor at his high school inspired him to start speaking publicly about overcoming adversity. So Nick started speaking to small groups of students when he was 17. Since his first motivational speaking engagement back when he was a teenager, Nick has traveled to over 57 countries, sharing his story with over 400 million people. Nick is the author of Life Without Limits, Unstoppable, Limitless, Stand Strong, and Love Without Limits. His books have been translated into over 30 different languages and have sold more than a million copies internationally. Nick's story continues to resonate worldwide, and he's been featured on CBS Sunday Morning, Oprah's Life Class, PBS Religion and Ethics News Weekly, USA Today, Newsmax, Life Today and the 700 Club, and twice on 60 Minutes in Australia. Christianity Today magazine named him as one of the 33 under 33 who are shaping the next chapter in American faith. 
We heard him um, 2010 when our kids were doing extreme Nazarene in Peru. And they had this in, in the, in the city, city of Arequipa, which is a city of a million people in the Andes Mountains of Peru. They, they had this world, this a citywide effort to get people to come into this special event called Love Extreme. And the keynote speaker was Nick Vujicic. And he got up and shared what the difference God had made in his life and he, how he had value and purpose. And I hardly knew who Nick Vujicic was. The Peruvians knew all about him. I, they went, you'd have thought he was a rock star of some kind. When they introduced him, I mean, it was like, whoa! And an incredible, incredible message of the difference Jesus Christ can make in your life and the hope that he gives and the fact that he can use anyone. So why did God use Rahab? We're probably not who... She's probably not who we would have picked to hide the spies. We would have picked a lady with at least a little better reputation, right? He was not so interested in what she was as in what she was becoming. See, Rahab was now beginning to identify herself with God's people. She took the side of the spies against her city and her king, knowing she was at risk of certain and awful punishment. But she believed in what God was doing. She'd seen it. And rather just in, rather than just quaking in fear and wondering what was next, she was beginning to put her faith in this God. She was seeing these powerful things that he was doing. And she was beginning to cast aside the pagan idols that her people worshipped and believe in this one true God who was doing such powerful things to bring these people to her doorstep. And isn't it true that God seems to have a habit of using unlikely people in accomplishing His ends? Ta-da! I was backwardly shy in high school. Doing this was the farthest thing from my mind. That my youth pastor used to come and try to talk me into coming to events that my own youth group did. And think about it. Who else but God would choose a shepherd boy to defeat a giant? Or a demon-possessed man to evangelize the Decapolis? Or a pharisaical persecutor of Christians to carry the gospel message to the Gentile world. And even today, God continues to use some surprising people to do His work in the world. So, if God could use Rahab, God can use anyone. So, I I, I don't do this often, but say this with me. If God can use Rahab, God can use me. If God can use Rahab, God can use me. Sometimes I think we get into this mode for whatever reason. Maybe, maybe health issues. Maybe it's a spiritual maturity issue. Maybe we think, well, God did forget to give somebody a talent and I'm the one that God can't use us. But it's not true. 
Listen, folks, if God can use Rahab, God can use any one of us. Well, the, the, the third thing I see in this passage is this. God honors faith. Again, beginning at verse 9, uh, and, and we're reviewing, I know, where Rahab says, I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings Sion and Og. East of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. Here's the faith statement I see though. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. She's come to this recognition that these gods they'd served in Jericho weren't gods at all. Your God is the true God. Look at the powerful things He's done on your behalf. And it's innocent. I think it's interesting that Rahab had not experienced any of these things personally. She wasn't there when God parted the Red Sea. She wasn't there when the Israelites defeated Sion and Og. But she'd heard about it. Faith comes by hearing. Huh. She didn't see these things with her own eyes, but she believed in what God was doing. You know, personally, she really, at this point, other than what she's seen God do for Israel, she knows nothing about Him. She's grown up in a godless culture. They had their own small g-gods, but the one true God grew up in a godless culture. She has no idea of His teachings she does not know what is required of her to be forgiven of her sins. For she, hasn't, she doesn't understand what has to be done as far as animal sacrifice as sin offerings. She doesn't know any of that. All she has to go by is what she has heard about this awesome God. But that was enough for her to be willing to put her life on the line, because that ex that's exactly what she was doing here. So, we see in, a, in Rahab a growing faith in the one true God. A faith that he would not only enable the Israelites to conquer her city and her people, but a faith that believed that he could save her and her family. Because she was understanding that the Lord your God, she's calling him as she speaks to the spies, is God in heaven above and in the earth below. Guess who's in control, folks? And here's the great thing about Rahab. It, her faith is not just a head thing, I believe. Her faith took the form of action and deeds. She hid the spies she helped them escape. She kept the mission of the spies a secret. And she sent the king's men on a wild goose chase. And because of her faith, Rahab is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. 
And she is listed as an example to others. Hebrews 11.31 By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient, with the rest of the people in Jericho. James 2.25 In the same way, was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? And because of her faith, we find that she and her family were saved when Israel conquered and destroyed Jericho. If you read a few chapters into the future, and we'll, we'll get to that in a few weeks. So, I've got some questions just for you to think about as we finish this morning. Number one, do we believe, do we believe that God is working ahead of us? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God can use every one of us? Do we have faith that in the power of God we can do this? Folks, this, this speaks to exactly where we are. We've got to believe that God is out there working, don't we? Listen, when somebody comes to Jesus, we can't take credit for that. It's because God's been working in their lives. We're just an instrument that He uses. You know, we're a seed planter or a seed waterer. Sometimes we get to be there when God works in their lives and they kneel in an altar and, you know, they're, they're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. But God's at work ahead of us. You know, um, how many of you have read Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? Have you read that? Raise those hands up high. Good. <laughs> Two. One of the things that he mentions over and over again is we need through the power of the Holy Spirit to see where God is working already and join Him there. And God does that in your life from time to time. He'll take you to somebody. And the reason He takes you to somebody is because He's already been working in their lives. He's been preparing the way for you to come to them and befriend them and engage them in conversation. And develop a relationship with them. And, and serve them. And share with them what Jesus has done in your life and what He can do in their lives. Listen folks, that doesn't just happen out of the blue. God goes ahead of us. Do we believe that God can use every one of us? Listen, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that... Well, the word spectator is not in there. I can't find it anywhere anyway. If you do, let me know. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We're all called to be involved. God wants to use every one of us in some way. And I thank God for the way God is using every one of you. I just, you know, I often think about how so many of you have hung in for years and years and years right here at this place and have continued to do what God's called you to do. God can use every one of us. Do we have faith that in the power of God we can do this? We can attract 
young families with children and teenagers. We can be a church with a future. We can impact our our community for Christ. We can see people come to know Jesus as Savior at our altars or in our small groups or in our Sunday school classes. Do we have faith that that can happen? Listen, we can all, we can look at the, 40 years before this, the spies that had been sent into the land, 12 of them, had looked at all the barriers that were out there and said, uh-uh, no way, we cannot do this. doesn't matter what God said. We can't do this. The people are huge. The cities are well fortified. We can't do this. We can do this. God has said the land is yours to possess. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Father, thank you for this incredible story of this lady who saw you at work in your people Israel and in your provision for them and the miracles you worked through them and, and, and in those other lands that they'd already conquered. And she, you were working in her to, to help her understand that this is God. This is the one true God. And Father, a faith that built in her and a, a, and a faith that, that moved her to take action. And because of what she did, the spies were able to go back. And, and Father, when the spies came back to Joshua, they didn't say, well, okay, here's the number of soldiers in the army and here's how thick the walls are. And he, They didn't mention any of that. They mentioned what you had done to prepare the way. The people are quaking in fear. This is ours to take. And Father, may we have that same kind of faith. Believing that you are already at work out there in people's lives, in the circumstances, in our community. Help us to, to believe and live it out that, that, Lord God, you can use every one of us in some way. And that then together with that, to believe that what you want to accomplish in and through us can be accomplished. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. You are a great and awesome God, a loving God. A God who wants to accomplish His purposes on this earth and to use us in accomplishing those things. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your call on our lives. Give us great vision. Strengthen our faith. And Lord God, may we believe for what you want to do here among us. And Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Do we have a closing?